0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central.
1: Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, January the 4th, 2023. It is currently 6.02 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. That, that may be the first time so far this year that saying 2023 felt weird. I don't know why. It, it's it's kind of worked really well. Some years, once the year changes, and I'm sitting here in front of the microphone, I just keep reverting reverting back to the old year. So it's just right now it's so easy. It would be easy just to start saying 2022 again. But I really haven't had any problem. Uh, maybe one time, but that time when I got ready to say Wednesday, January the fourth, twenty twenty three, it just sounded weird. I don't know why, but it is 2023. It is Wednesday evening here in West Texas, and yes, I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located here in Abilene, Texas, and I thought I would take some time this evening to make a suggestion to give you another resource and our ongoing study on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We have a series that we are calling Understanding Law and Gospel and currently we have 55 sermons in that series. 55 sermons in the series Understanding Law and Gospel and yes, I hope you're going back and listening to those maybe more than once. I did receive a very, very, very encouraging email uh, the other night in regards to the series that was so encouraging. Oh wow, it was it was so awesome. So to the person who sent that email, I don't think I've responded, but thank you so very much. In fact, I think I was going to read that email tonight, but our the the church service situation, everything kind of got messed up tonight. So, but I will be reading that soon uh, to the church when we're when we're back in this series, and I'm standing behind the pulpit because uh, I, I want everyone to hear it because it was uh, an amazing email and very encouraging, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, but I but the series, listen. The series has proven to be controversial. Um I have been accused of being an antinomian. It's it's just yeah, there have been lots of negative emails in regards to this series. But for those who have appreciated it and offered encouraging words, thank you very much because that that it that is you may not realize it, but sometimes your encouraging words shows up right at the right time. To, in a sense, kind of cancel out all of the negative emails, because not everyone really cares to understand the proper distinction between law and gospel, and they think any attempt to show the proper distinction immediately makes you an antinomian. Immediately, they accuse you of all kinds of things, and typically, the accusations demonstrate that they really don't understand that there needs to be a proper distinction between law and gospel. So, we have been working on it, We have uh, provided a lot, I think, of great information, and we will be working. I'm, I'm dedicated and committed to working on this series throughout 2023. I don't know how far into the year it's going to take us to finish it, but we will finish the series one way or the other. Yes, there'll be good episodes. There'll probably be episodes that you don't think are as important, but so far, I really believe every single episode that we've done, they just keep getting more and more important. And I've been somewhat happy with way the way the series has gone so far. But listen, here's the thing I definitely know. There's lots of resources out there when it comes to the subject of law and gospel. And I want you to have access to as many as possible. So just, I don't know what it was, an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, I got a notification on one of my podcast apps and it took me to a a podcast called Issues ETC, Issues Etc., which is a Lutheran program. And they had an episode where someone was teaching a Sunday school uh, lesson, but that wasn't what caught my attention. They gave the name of the person teaching the Sunday school lesson and the name of the person teaching the Sunday school lesson was Tom, I believe his name is Tom Baker Tom Baker, all right? And I'm like, okay, I don't I don't know much about Tom Baker. So I looked at the show notes and it said, Law and Gospel with Pastor Tom Baker. And I'm like, oh, he's the host of a program called Law and Gospel with Pastor Tom Baker. So I grabbed my favorite podcast app. I searched for it. Boom, there was the podcast. I immediately hit subscribe. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to just go through here, choose a random episode, and tonight, for our kind of kind of a special episode in our ongoing series on understanding law and gospel, we will review one of the episodes of this podcast, and I'm reviewing it, not so much to see whether, you know, how they handle it or what they do, I'm just choosing a random episode so that you can hear it. You can get a sample of it, and then you will go grab your favorite podcast app, do a search for Law and Gospel with Pastor Tom Baker, and you'll start listening to their study, their handling of the subject of Law and Gospel to supplement what you're learning in our series, because this is such an important series. I have said from the very beginning that this study of of understanding Law and Gospel And, and this is not hyperbole. There's, this is not exaggeration. This is just being honest. I think it's the most important series I have ever taught in my entire Christian ministry. I, I, that's how important I think this is. The, the confusion of law and gospel, I think is an epidemic in the modern church while everyone else is running around going, what do you think is the, the greatest danger to the church? What do you think the greatest problem of the church is? I've read article after article after article after article. Guess, is what, guess what is never mentioned? That one of the greatest problems, the greatest threat to the American church is the obliteration of the proper distinction between law and gospel. You even mention that as the number one threat to the church. People will look at you like, what are you talking about? That, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it's like, that's the whole problem. Nobody knows what we're talking about, but we need to establish this proper distinction. And so I'm going to do my best throughout 2023 to continue to teach this series. Again, we've already done 55 sermons, 55 sermons. This is going to be a massive series by the time we are done, but I hope that you will benefit greatly from it. But to supplement what we're doing, I'm going to give you now another podcast. I want you to subscribe to it. And here's the thing. Listen to me carefully. Not only do I want you to to, to, to subscribe to it, when you start listening to it, I want you emailing me and I want you saying, hey, I just listened to this episode at the five-minute mark. Okay, I didn't understand this or... What about this? Or they seem to take a different position than you did. Could you, and then I will go, grab those episodes, go to those timestamps. And if we need to, we will do a sp- additional special episodes reviewing or analyzing the position you hear on this podcast, Law and Gospel with Tom Baker. And we will contrast it with our position. And then you'll get even hopefully a deeper understanding of the proper distinction between law and law and gospel. So, are you ready? Sounds like a good idea. I think so. I think I, I think it's a good idea. I I went back to December of 2022. I know that's not going back that far. Um I think it's like um I think it's like December 22nd. I think he's going to say the date. It may be even earlier, maybe like early December, but it's 2022. And uh he's going to talk about I believe in this episode. I haven't listened to it yet because you know, I just choose them at random and then we try to listen to it in real time together. I believe he's going to talk about the confusion of law and gospel. And uh, well, we'll just see. We'll just see where this uh where this in, uh, takes us, where this ends up. So here we go. Um it, it comes in a little loud, and then I think it, it levels out. They have their levels way loud at the beginning, but I think they level them out. And uh, th- I think this is definitely coming from a Lutheran perspective, considering Uh, issues, et cetera, was featuring him teaching a Sunday school lesson, clearly then um, it's Lutheran because issues ETC is a Lutheran program. So this is going to be giving you the Lutheran perspective of law and gospel. And we have been considering uh, the Lutheran perspective on law and gospel because in our series, we've been utilizing a book called, called God's Yes and God's No, but we have been offering our own perspective. So we have, so we, we've made some modifications to some of the things we've heard so far in that book, but just so that you kind of have an idea where this is coming from. So are you ready? Here we go. Again, What? While, while I'm going to continue to kind of delay, because I want you to grab your phone, your tablet, your computer, and look up Law and Gospel with Tom Baker, and I want you to subscribe to it. And I want you to I want you to spend all night listening to episodes of it. All right? Here we go. Let's review a random episode from Law and Gospel with Tom Baker. Here we go
0: Here we go. You're listening to Rumination Thursday, December the eighth. In the year of our Lord, 2022, it's law and gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me today is...
1: So it was December the 8th. I don't know where I was getting December 22nd, probably because it was 2022. And whenever it gets numbers, I I always jumble up numbers and confuse numbers. So December 8th, 2022, this was the episode I randomly chose. And I believe it's it dealing with the confusion of law and gospel that happens in so much of the world. Let's see what they do with this subject.
0: Is Pastor Wes Rymnitz. Good morning, Pastor Reimnitz.
1: Good morning,
2: Pastor Baker. How are you?
0: Well, I'm pretty good. We came home from preaching. Uh, last night. And boy, was it ever foggy. Was it foggy in Springfield today?
2: No, it was pretty clear. Of course, I didn't venture out too far.
0: Yes. Yeah, it cleared up as we kept on coming. Uh, Before we start, we're going to be taking a look at one of the principles or theses that CFW Walther spoke of in talking to students about the distinctions between law and gospel. He made 25 points. The first four points that he makes are actually just a concept of law and gospel, basic concepts. But then beginning with thesis five, he went on up through 25, showing 21 ways that law and gospel is confused and the basic way of that being confused is by improperly making Christ a lawgiver rather than one with gift now
1: now, what he's referring to is the 25 theses of the of the book that uh, we refer, we are using, God's Yes and God's No. Those 25 theses can be found in our series. If you download the Church One app, Church O N E, look for our the series Understanding Law and Gospel, and look for the episode called Law and Gospel PDF. You'll see. Now, the 25 theses you will see is our modification of the original 25 theses. We we kind of rewrote them. And 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 work through them, but you'll you can get a, a basic idea. So um, he's saying that basically the the book starts with four theses that kind of lays down what law and gospel is. Then it, the rest of the book tries to show you how law and gospel is confused. And the number one way it is confused is where either on purpose, inadvertently, it, it, whether Christians even understand what they're doing. They turn Christ into a law giver, and, uh, well, th- that can create some problems. So, let's see how they articulate this and what they do with this.
0: I was struck, as we talked about for today, that I thought it'd be nice to go back to at least one thesis. That, that's kind of complicated, and when you first read it, you wonder, oh, boy. And it's a thesis that says, we are not saved on account of our faith, for the sake of our faith, or in view of our faith, which I believe a lot of people really think that that's what faith is, that it saves us. And by the way, before we continue, I ha- <coughs> excuse me. I had the Reader's Edition of Law & Gospel. It's over 500 pages long. And it's at a very reduced price of $45. So if you email us at, lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com, we'll be able to send you a copy of this before Christmas. And so we are encouraging you you to have a copy of Author's Law and Gospel. You you use it quite a bit in your when you do sermons, do you not, Pastor Reimnitz?
2: Oh, yes. In fact, uh, uh, I'm reading it this morning. I mean, we're going to look at Thesis 14, but uh, I was looking at Thesis 10, and it, it was interesting listening or reading we also talking about uh how people view faith in in the world of the unbeliever uh, the same as as a muslim or a hindu and uh i've seen various articles on the internet trying to equate jesus as a hindu or a muslim and uh, i think this one that we're looking at this morning thesis 14 really gets into what what uh, faith is for the believer.
0: Yeah, some good points there.
1: Now, this one is a complicated thesis, and they're jumping ahead. So we're getting a preview of where we are going. So I'm going to be interested to hear this one out because this one does get a little confusing. So are we saved by faith? Are we not saved by faith? How do we understand salvation and faith and a proper distinction between law and gospel? This one just listen to me carefully just listen to me carefully because because i i know that the, we, we this has a tendency to lead us maybe into a little bit of confusion But I embrace confusion, right? Because sometimes we have to be confused. And then once we are confused, we have to struggle through the confusion. And then typically we come out the other side with better clarity. It's just some people get very nervous about the confusion. And so they fight the confusion and they just, no, give me a simple answer. I don't wanna be confused. I don't wanna struggle. And they can get defensive and they can put just, you've gotta sometimes embrace the confusion embrace the questions, embrace the struggle, be patient and be calm, and then slowly but surely we will work our way out of the confusion with a better understanding. So, if we get a little confused here, don't worry about it because when we get to this thesis, we will spend as much time as necessary to figure this out. So, we are thinking of the proper distinction between law and gospel, right? And then how do we understand faith in a way that it doesn't become law? It become, In other words, can we have an understanding of faith that makes it more law than it does gospel? And I do believe that it, it can happen. Now, I, now I'm going to go with, uh, I'm just going to throw out just this general idea. I don't know if this is the direction they're going to go, but let me, help, uh, let me try to throw this out there just as a, a thought, as my own kind of hypothesis or thesis, because I think it's very important. And we have already discussed this in our series, if you remember. If you haven't listened to our series, you may not remember this, but just pay close attention to this. In some systems of theology... When Jesus says, believe, right, that we are called to believe, we are are told to believe the gospel, we are told to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that salvation is a call to believe, salvation is a call to have faith. Some people say, "Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, I am to believe, but they don't see the call to believe necessarily as a command They see it somehow as just an invitation. We're just being invited to believe, but not a command. But I believe when you read some of the scriptures, believe and you will be saved. It's almost spoken of as an imperative, as a command. So if I'm saved by believing... Well, then I'm being saved by doing something by works, especially if in your system of theology, a person believes because of their something in them, they just choose to believe they can exercise their, it's an exercise, they're exercising their will, their thinking, and they just do so. Well, then yes, if, if the, if the call to believe is a command. And people just believe on their own, then salvation becomes about works because now you're responding to a command and you're being saved by your response to that command, right? That's problematic. Now, in the Reformed world, the problem disappears because we can say, yes, the call to belief and repentance is a command. However, in the gospel, God gives those who believe The faith he grants the repentance he grants the faith so therefore we are not saved by anything we do because we're given the faith, in a sense, the call to believe is almost a law, right? And and we are not saved by that law. We're saved by Christ giving us the faith to obey that. In other words, God is the one giving us the faith. It's not our faith. So we're being saved by by god because he's the one granting the faith faith is a gift it's not just that grace is a gift faith is a gift and faith is given to those who believe by god it's not something we just uh, we can just conjure up on our own god has to grant the faith he has to grant the repentance therefore we we don't so in that sense then we're not saved by by doing something so when it, we're called to believe when we're called to believe, is it a command or is it not a command? If it's a command and you believe people are saved by their exercising of their own faith, then they are, they are being saved by law keeping. If, if it is a command and I'm saved, well, it's not because of my law keeping, because God is the one who grants me the faith. He gives me what the law demands, and that's that's constantly what the whole concept of the gospel is. The law demands perfection. The law demands holiness. The law demands obedience. And in Christ, I have all of those things. If the law demands faith and repentance, God grants me the faith and the repentance. So I, I think that that's we need to draw that distinction. And I know that that can cause great controversy. Because many Christians are far more over to a side that sees faith as just something we do. But then you have to look at those scriptures that seem to say, believe and be saved. Is that a command? Are we being commanded to believe? How how do we understand that? Let's see which direction they go in all of this.
0: The main thing is that we do believe that a person is saved and made righteous in the sight of God by faith. But that is a claim everyone knows that salvation by faith is the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of the entire word of God. But a genuine preacher is not defined merely by saying, a person is saved and made righteous in the sight of God by faith alone. The key point is in which context does he say and use the word faith? And then Walther goes into some examples of people who have a different understanding when they say the word or the phrase by faith. Can uh, you give an example of what they do?
2: well like as
0: the rationalist
2: rationalist who used uh, to preach that a person is indeed saved by faith by faith in jesus christ they understood only accepting the excellent moral teachings that christ proclaimed they held that a person becomes a true disciple of the lord and is made righteous by accepting the doctrine of virtue Look at the way the rationalist book of radical type of this error, and you will see that that uh, they're preaching a vogue of rationalism.
0: Yes, and even the Roman Catholics, for example, they're unwilling to say that faith makes a person righteous in the sight of God and saves him. Now, they will even say that faith alone makes a person righteous and saves him. But when they say by faith, they actually mean that it has to be joined with love. So they manage to say many excellent things about faith in Roman Catholicism, but often by faith, they mean the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches regarding faith. And then Walther also attacked devotional writings of certain modern theologians. What did he say about that?
2: Well, if you understand faith that a person gives himself what what himself achieves or produces the faith is a product of human energy or resolution. You know, such a teaching subverts the gospel. You know, God's word really meant nothing else than when it says that a person is justified and saved by faith alone a person is not saved by his own acts but solely by the the doing and dying of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the redeemer of the whole world
1: right right so if faith is an action we do if faith is something i do well then my salvation is that faith becomes a work in and of itself. And we, at least in the reform perspective, no, 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 no. Faith is a gift. God demands faith. He gives me the faith. So I am saved by what God has done for me, for what Christ has done and the faith which has been given to me. So that's, but if you believe it's something we do, it's something we we can conjure up, then that creates a a, a problem.
0: Uh, yes. One way in which I've heard pastors preach is they encourage a person to decide to have faith and therefore faith is something that they do. And that's not correct at all.
1: Yes. If faith is something I do, then faith becomes a work in obeying a law. Therefore, I'm not saved by the gospel. I'm saved by law keeping. And the law that I'm keeping is the demand that, that uh, is the call or the, or the command to believe and be saved. And then faith is something I do. The minute you make faith something I do, then you've destroyed gospel. You've confused law and gospel, and you've destroyed salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And nobody ever gives that much thought. It's not something right, and,
0: that they do.
2: And right, and in Jesus 10, he brings that out too, uh, with the Muslim or the Hindu, that they, they say faith is something that you do that achieves uh, a certain amount of salvation which is is an act of unbelief
0: in in other words if the message of the gospel is you need to get faith in the words of the bible that's really a command is it not
2: oh yeah i mean you're, you 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 stated it well and when it's a person does something towards faith, rather than receive faith as an invitation by God. I put out a map that uh, on faith that the law demands faith, but God invites uh,
1: a person to believe. Okay, now I'm going to change this. The law demands faith. God grants the faith. To those he saves. Now they want to say the law demands faith, but Christ invites faith. No, the law demands faith, God provides faith. Right? That that's the whole key. But there's no other solution to this, or you're going to turn faith into an obedience to the law. And so I'm going to once again read, for you are saved, this Ephesians 2.8, for you are saved by grace through faith, and that is not from yourselves. The faith is not from yourself. The faith is a gift from God, and he grants that to those whom he saves. This then leads back to election, predestination. It leads to those issues, which where much of Christianity is divided and people lose their minds and goes crazy, but this really is trying to protect law and gospel. If the law demands faith, then it can't be something I do or I'm being saved by law-keeping. Well, then you can't say you're saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone.
0: Yes. One of the false theologians, his name is Luthart, and he wrote that Faith is a free act of obedience that man renders.
1: please note see what someone some theologian said. Faith is the free act of obedience which man renders. now. I wonder if you put that down and in your church's confession of faith. That faith, or your doctrinal statement, that faith is the free act of obedience which man renders unto God. I wonder if anyone in your church would go, wait, that's a problem. That's amazing. I wonder if anybody would even notice it, if they would even catch on, if they would even see it. And I think that's a that's a valid question because I don't think many in the evangelical real world would even care or even see the issue.
0: And Walter really looked at that closely and he said no, if it refers to the fulfillment of a duty for which a person expects a reward, that faith is therefore a work of the law.
1: Exactly. See, if, I, if I'm if i believing in order to get a reward, which would be salvation, and I'm the doing the believing, then I'm I am obeying the law in order to get something from it. Then the whole system is a works-based system.
0: And that faith is not such a duty. If it were, it would be a requirement that God set before me. As if God says, now I've done my share, namely having my son die on the cross. Now you have to do yours. I'm not asking much of you, but I do require that you repent and believe.
1: And we are called to repent and believe. We are. And I believe that the theological solution to this dilemma is God grants the repentance and the faith. He gives us that. And there, we are saved, therefore, by what God gives us, not by what we do, because we cannot repent. We cannot believe apart from the sovereign gift of God. And he grants those things.
0: Now, if you take a look at John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. The way they look at that verse is God does his part, giving his only begotten son. Then it's up to you to do your, your part. And that is to decide to have faith in those words and therefore you are not saved by faith you are saved instead through your faith on behalf of your faith on account of your faith for the sake of your faith and faith then becomes an obedient work that you are to do
1: okay now I hope you see what he's trying to say here is that, that if you turn faith into something we do, now you're obeying something, and then you destroy the whole gospel concept. Now, someone in chat just asked, I'm assuming we cannot refuse a gift from God. No. Nope. Okay. This is very important to understand. Now, I'm going I'm to try to answer this from the Reformed theological perspective. All right? So, please hear this out. There we by nature, refuse all of God's gifts. We don't want it. We refuse it. We refuse it. We refuse it. We refuse it until God changes us, right? In a sense, think of it, a common grace we, re, we can refuse and reject all offers of grace through, through common grace, but effectual grace or the effectual calling, or we could say the general calling, we'll say it that way, the general call, we, we refuse, we, we don't want it, we don't want God's gift, but the effectual call, God gives us the faith, he gives us the repentance, and then we in a sense, receive, accept that gift. But we're doing so because of the faith which God gives us. The faith God gives us. That's why the faith, our salvation is based off of faith God gives us. And therefore, when, when, when He gives us, He doesn't give that faith to just anyone and everyone, and and listen, we got to be very careful. If faith is the gift, and you're saying, well, we can either receive that or or reject it, well, then once again, guess what happens? It's my, I'm saved by the faith that I chose, I exercised my will to get, which is, once again, something I'm doing. No, God gives me the faith. He gives me the faith. And so, therefore... He's, it's all of him. If it becomes any of me, then I can boast that I was smarter than that person and I received the gift. I'm smarter. I figured it out. I did this right. No, no, no. Every God has to do every, he has to, in a sense, wake us up from our spiritual death, grant us the faith, grant us the repentance, and then we are saved. So we are called to believe and God must give me the faith and in my general normal my normal depraved nature we refuse what god gives but in salvation for those he saves he gives the faith too and they believe because god does the work all right now that that is a uh, That's the way it works in a reform perspective. Now, in the non reform perspective, anyone can believe, anyone can reject, anyone can get, and they just do so on their own for whatever reason. Either you argue good enough with them, you present a good enough argument, they're smart enough to figure it out, and then they believe, they choose, they receive, and it's their own volition, it's their own will, it's their own thinking, it's all about them. They're the ones doing it. Well, then if... The call to faith is a command, then they're being saved by what they do.
0: But faith is not a gift, is it? I'm sorry, faith is not a work.
2: It's It's not a work, it's a a gift. gift. It it says whoever believes doesn't say that (laughs) I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I think that's where many people go off the rail. Uh, that, that it really is a gift that uh, that he gives, or uh, like in Acts four twelve, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given by by man by which we must be saved. It is the gift of God to us.
0: What I like about Walter's lectures, he often uses analogies to help us understand. And the one he uses about a beggar. A beggar approaches you asking for a donation. And you say to him, I will give you something on one condition. He asks what the condition is. And you tell him that the condition is that he accept your gift. Would he not consider your condition a joke? He would laugh saying, why, I will meet your condition most gladly. And the more you give, the happier I will be to take it. So the gospel is horribly corrupted when you make faith a requirement. Because, and you'll hear this among Christians, how do you know you're saved? Oh, because I have faith. And that's something that I decided to have, and they think that they're obeying some command from God, and that's really not true.
2: You know what comes to mind when when you hear that is the gospel of prosperity. The more that you quote have faith, the more God gives you money and wealth and possessions that you hear from some of the uh, so-called evangelists out there.
0: Yes, in fact, uh, I know one pastor who says, you're not getting blessed because you're not doing enough good works. And so your salvation and your blessings are dependent on your obedience to the law. And so it's really important to understand that faith is not something you decide to have it is a gift from God. And that gift is one in which you now believe the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Right. And so I just want to make sure it's understood that faith is given only to those whom God has chosen to save. I mean, this is where election comes in. And I know I'm going at this from a reform perspective. The other perspective says, no, God, faith is something we do. Now, some may try to argue, no, no, faith is something God offers anyone, but you have to accept the faith. And then you accept the faith. And then once you have accepted the faith, then you can accept the salvation. But that all makes it dependent upon what we do. Um, All right. Some people or, or someone Uh, in the chat just said, so if people think their faith is of themselves, and they are, uh, are they just misunderstanding what's happening or are they deceived? Good, good question. I think it, I think what they're doing is they're understanding it based off the system of theology that they have been taught and the predominant, I mean, not, it's the dominant majority Understanding in the evangelical world is a very semi-Pelagian perspective, which says, Hey, God calls us to believe and you choose to believe. You do it. You accept it. It's something you do. They don't know. They don't even know there's another way of understanding it. They don't, they have no clue. They don't even know. It's just that's the way Christians have been raised to believe. I mean, Christians are the most evangelicals. If you just ask them anything in regards to Christianity, they they just, this is the way they speak. This is the way they've been raised. This idea of free will, this idea of, I just choose, I believe, I do it. And they never see the greater theological ramifications. Well, wait a minute. Does God call us to believe? Yes. Well, is that a command? Yes. Okay. Are you in a sense obeying the command to believe? Yes, I believed. Okay, well, then you're saved by works. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. Okay, I know that's not what you meant, but that's what you're that's the system you're going with. Well, this other system, the more reformed perspective, says God calls us to to repent and believe, and then he gives at the at his chosen time the faith and the repentance, and we are granted that. He regenerates us. He gives us faith. It's all of Him. So I am, in a sense, at that point, saved by faith because it's not my faith. It's the faith God has given me. Therefore, my saving faith can never go away. It can never be destroyed. I, I can't do it. It's not, it's not my faith. It's the faith given to me by God. And we tried to make that distinction, um, the other in our study on, Matthew fourteen about where where I tried to establish these different kinds of faith the saving faith versus the practical faith the saving faith is given to me by God it is perfect it is secure it's not going to fluctuate it's not going to change because it's a faith given to me by God so therefore my salvation is secure if 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 it's based off my faith if my salvation is based off my faith well my faith is is it's coming from a sinful fallible person who's given over to emotions who knows how secure that faith will be that like that faith who knows if you're going to stay saved now if someone says no 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 you'll you will stay saved well why will I stay saved if it's my faith because nothing I do first of all anything I do is not pure it's corrupted and it's by no means secure But if it's a faith given to me by by God, I think most people, I I, I don't want to say deceived. I just don't think they've ever heard any other perspective. I mean, most churches are not having in-depth discussions about the proper distinction between law and gospel and to understand faith as being a gift given to us by God versus the typical theology that faith is something I do. It's something I exercise. It's something inside of me. Because the minute you say God is the one who gives the faith, well, then you know the theological question that would be asked. Well, why doesn't he give everyone that faith? And clearly he doesn't. Now, again, if you say, well, well, you can, he offers faith to everyone, but you can reject the faith. Well, now it's your your accepting and rejecting. It's still something you do. And if it's something you do, you're right back to salvation becoming a work. Faith is something just granted to me. It's just given to me. I go from a believer to an unbeliever purely because of the sovereign grace of God. Now, I understand people don't like that. But if you don't like that, then you're turning salvation into a work. And if you turn it into a work, then there's a problem. So I don't ever want to say these people are deceived. I just don't think, look, when I first became a Christian, I... I didn't understand all of this because I was never taught it. I was never taught it in any way, shape, or form, right? I was in a Southern Baptist church here in West Texas. It was the standard Arminian, uh, semi-Pelagian concept. I didn't know any better, but I kept asking questions, 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 and I wouldn't get in sufficient answers, so I ended up in a Lutheran church. That's how I ended up as a Lutheran. Now, I ultimately left Lutheranism, right, but I, I I will always take the things I learned in Lutheran, Lutheranism and be eternally grateful, like law and gospel. Now, I didn't understand it completely at the time, the proper distinction of it, but I now appreciate it a little bit more. Now, Lutheranism has this kind of weird perspective, which sometimes I don't feel like they go all the way to the reform perspective. So it's kind of this caught in the middle idea. But I want to make sure that I, I look... I believe the law, I believe God demands that we believe in order to be saved. And the only way to get around that is, therefore, what the law demands, God provides. The law demands I am holy, God provides holiness. The law demands that I'm obedient, God provides obedience. The law demands that I'm not a sinner, my sin is washed away. Everything the law demands, God provides in Christ Jesus. So I am saved by a faith that is not mine, it is a gift given to me by God.
0: And if you thought that faith was something that you have to do, then the promises of the gospel would be conditional. Talk about the difference between law and gospel in regard to conditional and unconditional.
2: Well, God does not attach a condition to his grace when he offers it to a sinner and asks him to accept it. It would not be a gift if it were attached with a condition to it. In the same way, it would not be a gift someone came up to me wanting something, and I told him, I will give you something if you work in my garden. He would say, what kind of present is that? Do you want me to... To, to work the, the whole day. It's the same thing in the, Thesis 10, where if you love and do duty, that shows that you have faith and uh, a, a condition uh, that they would consider themselves justified and saved by faith and not on account of their faith.
0: Yes. One of the best Bible verses CFW brings up is Romans 4, verse 16. It says, That is why righteousness comes through faith, in order that it may be of grace. And what's grace? Grace is receiving a gift from God that you do not deserve. But if faith is something, that you decide to bring into existence, then you would deserve that.
1: And that is so important. If the gospel promises are conditional, and you have to meet the condition in order to get the gospel promises, then you're not saved by grace. You're saved by works. But if the if the promises of the gospel, whatever condition is placed there, Whatever demand is, God has, will meet that condition perfectly for us. Therefore, it is not by our works or efforts. It's by grace. Either it's by grace or it's by our efforts. And if you say, well, you get this if you do this, the minute you say, if I do this, then it's not grace. I'm earning it because I'm doing what's required. I'm. It's a debt that's being paid to me. Hey, you can have all of this if you believe. And, And I exercise my faith and I get it. Now, you can say, you can have this if you do this, and then God says, and I'll take care of that demand or that command or that that requirement or that condition, and he grants the very faith that is required. That's the, look, that's the only answer in this. Now, the Lutherans try to kind of have this middle ground that I think is somewhat confusing. Well, well, either, well, it isn't conditional, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe shall have everlasting life. That looks like a conditional promise. You have to believe, right? Or I don't get everlasting life. Well, are you believing on your own? Well, then you're the one meeting the requirement. Therefore, you're not saved by grace. You're saved by works. But if God gives the faith to those who believe and they get everlasting life, then guess what? The everlasting life is by grace, and God gives us the belief that is required to obtain it. And therefore, it's all by God, and it's all by grace, and it's not by works. That, that's the only theological solution to this.
0: That's salvation, because you have now done something. And that's why using the proper prepositions in front of faith is so, so important.
2: Right. Well, in short, the promises of grace have been nothing of humankind. When the Lord says, believe, he does not speak a demand. Rather, he extends an a urgent invitation for people to apprehend, to appropriate what he is giving without asking anything in return for it.
1: See, and that that's kind of like they're trying to find this middle ground. It's an invitation. Yeah, but if I don't receive the invitation that I don't get it. So there's something I'm still doing. So they don't want to make it a command. They're, they're, they're trying to reduce. It's not a command. It's an invitation, but it's still something I have to do. And I'm going to say, no, the, the, the gospel, th- there is a demand, believe and you'll be saved. And I'm saying, whether you, whether you want to call it an invitation or whether you want to call it a command, here's what I know. I don't do it. God gives me the faith. God grants the repentance. Therefore, there's no room for me to boast because it's all a work of God.
0: Yes. And this gift obviously is accepted. But needless to say, the person who does not accept it loses the gift. But not because there was a condition attached to it. They just don't. Have faith.
1: So he's trying to say that there's no condition, but there is a condition. If you don't accept it, you don't get it. So their, their middle ground, I don't think works. I don't think the middle ground works here because if you say, well, hey, it's not a command. It's an invitation. But if you don't accept the invitation, you don't get it. Well, then that's a command. That's a condition. So, so you have to explain this in some way, shape, or form, right? They're like, hey, it's not a command. It's not a condition. But if you don't accept it, you don't get it. Well, then it's a condition. <laughs> the only way to do so is what God says. Here, you can have this if you believe, and then I'm going to grant the faith sovereignly to those who will believe. I will grant the faith. I'm going to grant the righteous and imputed righteousness. I'm going to give the repentance. Everything that is demanded, every condition, every whatever word you want to use, God provides. I I cannot see, this middle ground doesn't work. And the semi-Pelagian to Pelagian Arminian view is just a disaster when it comes to all of this.
0: And so faith is not placed in opposition to grace, just as the beggar's act of accepting a gift is not placed in opposition to the free benevolence of the giver. Uh, a beggar would be insane if he said to the donor, what, now you want me to accept it also? Well,
1: that's just... Okay, you're right. You can say, well, the beggar would be insane not to accept it. Okay, well, then why, why do so many people in the world, quote-unquote, not accept it? Because we're all we all have a problem. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and dead people don't accept gifts. (laughs) See, that's why the reform perspective, I think, is the only one that answers this. I can go offer dead people stuff all day. They're dead. God has to grant the life. There's regeneration. He has to grant the faith. He has to grant the repentance. Every condition, every demand, God has to meet. The the righteousness that's demanded, he has to meet. The holiness that's demanded, he has to meet. The obedience that's demanded, he has to be. The uh, t- to he has to pr- provide. He has to give. Uh, he has to, to to provide in some way, shape, or form. Everything that is demanded, he has to give. He has to provide. That's that's the only way you can understand this. But the 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 what why people don't like that is because that walks you into a theological corner. Well, wait a minute. If God is the one who has to provide it, then how come some people don't have it? Because if God is the one providing it, he would provide it for everyone, but clearly that's not the case. So how people try to get away from that dilemma is saying, well, because people get to choose. Well, if people get to choose, they're going to reject it every single time because of depravity. See, that's where the general call is always refused. It's only the effectual call because the effectual call God has to give. Common grace, in a sense, people can, our depravity can ignore it, just deny that it's even from God, but it's the sovereign grace. It's the effectual call that God gives the faith, gives the repentance, brings the dead sinner to life. Therefore, no one can boast. There's no boasting Because it's all of God.
0: This doesn't happen.
1: We we see this on a
0: lot of highways. Well, What do you see at Uh, uh, intersections sometimes?
2: Uh, uh, Which way do you turn?
0: Uh, Well, no, you see a beggar who's asking for money. Does that happen yeah. much in Springfield? It happens a lot in St. Louis.
2: Oh yeah, uh, and uh, I, I notice that they're they're fairly clean cut, and uh, they're, they call themselves homeless. But uh, how homeless are they? Yeah, uh, we 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 have cr- what we call crews of them that that stationed themselves at various sunk parts of Springfield. Yeah. So
0: when a person says you're saved if you have faith, that can really be misunderstood because it often means that the cause or reason for your salvation is your faith. And obedience, therefore, is the reason that eternal life is given.
1: That's only true if it's our faith. You can say you are saved if you have faith, and the only and therefore the only way to have that salvation is you have to be given that faith in a sovereign way. God grants the faith. Or it's your faith. Or you have to say, well, you're not... That they they want to get away from that language saying, well, if you believe. They're trying to get away from that language, but they're trying to find this middle ground. Well, it's not your faith. It's the faith God gives, but you had to receive the faith. Well, that's still, there's the if part. My thing is make it, I think that it's a command and we are saved by God taking care of that command for us. Everything the law demands, God provides
0: to those who keep the law. But when evangelicals use the word if, it means a consequence for it relates to the mode of application that God has appointed for these promises, and that is faith alone. Mm. So, faith is merely a passive instrument, like a hand into which someone places a dollar. The hand is a passive instrument. The person who receives the dollar does not withdraw his hand. Beyond that, he does not have to do anything. It is the donor who is doing the essential part by first offering a gift into the beggar's hand
1: see they're 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 trying to parse this, but they're still going to back themselves right into the same corner. Well, you still have to accept it well that's something I'm doing. We don't accept faith; God just grants faith, and then by faith, we believe, and by believing, then we are justified. By an imputed righteousness. But God grants the faith. He grants the repentance. It's all God. God does that. It sovereignly happens.
0: Not the beggar who holds out his hand. Just let a beggar approach a miser and see what good holding out his hand will do. The miser might even turn his dogs loose on the beggar if it becomes annoying. So, holding out your hand is not a way to get money, but when it's offered to you, you'll hold out your hand similarly,
1: you see, they're trying to parse it when I hold out my hand, I'm doing I'm doing, and once I'm doing, then salvation becomes a part of what I have done, therefore, there is room for me to boast. They they don't want to be over in the Pelagian-Arminian camp, but they don't want to seem to go all the way over to the Reform camp. So this is this middle ground that is just convoluted in my estimation.
0: Faith, trying to get faith in Jesus Christ, is not the method by which you are saved. Now, you said it earlier, what really saves you?
2: Uh, pay all oh, the promises of, of God in Christ Jesus, who died, died for you. You know, as you speak and you talked about the the beggar on the street at, at the stoplight, it it kind of reminds me of uh, the the beggar doesn't hold out his hand until the the driver cranks down his window. And offers him the, the change that he gives, and then he re, he receives from the person on in the car that, or the person rolls up his window and refuses to beg her.
0: Yes, in a certain sense, we could say that faith is a person's work, because it is not God who believes, but man. However. This can be totally misunderstood, which is why we should not.
1: But see, uh, see, they 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 realize they have to say, well, we do something, but they're trying to they're trying to modify it. We do nothing. God grants me the faith. He gives me the faith. It is a gift. God grants that to me.
0: Let's speak like this. Faith is not an achievement of ours.
1: Amen. Faith is not an achievement of ours because it's not my faith. I am saved by the faith God gives me. God gives me the faith to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ.
0: God alone works in me. You and I contributed nothing to our faith. In fact,
1: we contributed. See, I hate that. It's not that we contributed nothing to our faith. It's not our faith. It's a faith given to us.
0: Were you baptized as an infant as I was?
1: Oh, yeah. Now this comes into the Lutheran. Uh now now this is where the Lutheran the Lutheran perspective blows my mind because on one hand they want to say well there's something we have to do but then they believe in infant baptism where you take the baby 8 days old you sprinkle it and boom magic christian they're regenerated well then okay well then the baby did nothing now sometimes they'll try to say well the baby's the reason the baby the baby can believe I've heard that when I was a Lutheran I heard the argument well look at John the Baptist so it's possible the baby can believe well, that doesn't make any sense. Some will try to argue it's the faith of the parents or the faith of the godparents. Well, that's ridiculous. So, um, that, that's where the whole infant baptism thing begins to fall apart in my mind. And that's one of the reasons, that's why I left Lutheranism is because I couldn't understand the, on one hand, they were trying, they have this weird concept in how they like, Hey, no, you have to do something. Well, I mean, the baby doesn't have to do. Well, the baby did something. Well, wait a minute. You, you don't do anything. And that's somewhere where their law and gospel distinction, in and, and my estimation, sometimes blows up right here.
2: And we made no decision for Christ. Christ came to us through, through the sacrament of baptism, water and the word.
0: So when we say to someone to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, We don't want that to be understood as a command from God and get the people all riled up and attempt to believe something because they cannot. The Bible makes very clear that the common man cannot even understand the ways of the Spirit. And until you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot even have faith.
1: Now, you can't have faith that this, this is the, okay. I'm, I'm going to pull something up really quick. Uh, we're getting into a very uh, complicated theological issue here. A very complicated theological uh, issue here. Okay. Hang on. Give me one second. I'm looking uh, up a Latin phrase. Some of you know what Latin phrase I'm looking up. Probably know. All right, the or, Ordo Salutis. Ordo Salutis is Latin for the Order of Salvation. All right, and this is the Order of Salvation. All right, here we go. Um, and and I'll, I'll give at least. I think this one works pretty good. All right. Uh, the the debate over Ordo Salutis is most keenly evident between the Reformed and Arminian systems. Uh, for the reformed tradition the ordo salutis is election predestination followed by evangelism the preaching of the gospel regeneration conversion justification sanctification and glorification all right so that in re- in conversion is where we are given the faith right that's where it really happens all right, so we are we are uh, and and we we could break this all down, but it's the that order what well, how how some have it is you preach right, you preach it, and then the person believes then once they believe, then they're regenerated, right no 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 no, no no, no, we have to be regenerated. Before we can believe, we have to be made alive and God has to grant us the faith. It's either, I am God, God, oh, this goes all the way back to elected, predestination. We could have, uh, we, we well, they, we could put uh, the calling in here. Um, Let me see. Yeah, they don't have the calling in here. So we would have to really work out the ordo Salutis here the way it should work. But and in the Arminian view, see, it's a, a, evangelism, followed by faith, then regeneration. No, 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 no. Faith doesn't lead to regeneration. I have to be made alive, and then God grants me the faith. God has to grant me the faith. He makes me alive and gives me the faith, gives me the repentance. But if it's not the, the way some Christians teach it is I preach, and then the person believes, and then they're regenerated. No, 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 no. No, And so it, the Lutheran thing is kind of walking this weird tightrope here where it's just almost doublespeak, right? Faith, listen, I believe that, that it, it, I think it's fair to say that we're almost commanded to believe. It's, it's almost a command. I think it, it's fair to say it's a law. Even if you say it's an invitation, you end up with the same situation. Why am I receiving it, quote unquote? Well, I'm only receiving it because... I didn't do anything to receive it. God granted me the faith. By granting me the faith, I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then God imputes to me the righteousness. So it's not my receiving of anything per se. It's, you can use that language, but my receiving is simply because God has granted me the faith and now I am believing and then God gives me the the righteousness. He gives me or imputes to me the righteousness. And they're trying this weird. It gets. It really gets into the ordo salutis and how we understand that. And there's different systems and how we articulate that. We could go in there, but just make sure it, faith. You have the election and predestination and the calling and all of that. Before then then you have regeneration. You can say you have evangelism, then the gospel is preached. Now from the evangelism, you have to have the effectual call or the general call. The general call goes out to anybody and can be re- re- rejected. The effectual call goes to the elect, and the effectual call, then the, those the effectual call will go to those, they will be regenerated, they will be granted faith and repentance. They will believe, they will be justified, and we could go through all the different steps. But you, you've got to get things in the right order, or well, now you do destroy law and gospel. You then turn faith into something you do in response to what you are called to do in order to get something which turns salvation completely into a work.
2: In relation to salvation, faith is, is not our work, we contribute nothing. To my faith. Faith belongs to the order ordained by God, which is that by no actual means, the so called condition depends on a person, but rather a blessing from our Father in heaven.
1: Faith is a blessing from God. Now I will agree with that. Faith is not something I do, it's something God grants me sovereignly, apart from me
2: faith is not an achievement of ours. It's God alone who works in me.
0: Yeah, it's not a condition that you have to meet. Nor is it...
1: See, now they go back. It's not a condition. It is a condition if you say if you don't have faith, you're not saved. The minute you say you have to have faith in order to be saved, then it is a condition. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth Right? Whosoever believeth, for God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth shall have everlasting life. The the belief is the condition. It is spoken of as a condition. They don't want to make it a condition, but then they say, but if you don't do it, you don't get it. Well, then it's a condition. There's no way to get away from the conditional language. The only way to resolve this theologically is to say the condition God demands, he provides. He gives. To those whom will be saved, if you—that's your only option. Uh, This weird middle ground. No, no, no. It's not a condition. But if you don't do it, you don't have it. Well, then it's a condition. Oh man, it's—it's weird how we don't want to use that word, but just—just not using the word doesn't (laughs) doesn't change it. Oh, that's so odd that they want to do—they want to play this middle ground. Okay, all right, all right. I'm gonna—I'm gonna—we're gonna gonna finish this up, up. We only have like about a minute.
0: Properly speaking required as a condition because justification is not promised and offered on account of the worth or merit of faith or in so far as faith is a work for faith too is imperfect however it is the no
1: no 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 faith is not in per- oh, okay our faith is imperfect Not the faith given to us. The faith given to us is perfect. See, that's why I I, see. I and our study. That's why that Matthew fourteen study was so very, very, very important. People may may not have caught on why I was spending so much time in the Matthew fourteen, and I was so exercised and preoccupied and trying to get conversations going about it because I believe that that was a good example of showing. No, there's a faith that saves. And then there's our own faith, and our own faith is not perfect. It fluctuates, it falls, it falters, it's weak, it doubts. The faith God gives us for salvation is is a divinely given faith, and it is perfect, and it doesn't fluctuate, and it will never fail, and it will never falter. I think there's a distinction.
0: The mode of receiving the blessing offered to people through An account of Jesus Christ. So it's really important to understand what genuine faith is. To be a true teacher, genuine faith is not enough. In addition to faith, you must have the ability to express in proper terms the things that need to be believed. And that's the death of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and a life of sanctification. And we got to get away from thinking that faith is a command for us to try and render in order to be saved.
2: And we do that Sunday morning, don't we? Early in the service, I have poor, miserable sinner. You know, we're, we deserve nothing but uh, eternal punishment. And then... We receive the forgiveness of sins as it is spoken to us as a command by Christ.
1: And I think this is so important. Faith, saving faith, is a gift from God. Saving faith is treated in several places of the New Testament as a gift of God. This means that apart from God giving faith, no man would ever place their faith in Christ. The reason they will not place their faith in Christ is not because God is hindering them, but because their sinful, depraved heart rejects Christ. Not only is grace freely received by faith, faith also is a gift itself given from God so that we cannot take credit for anything. Faith is a product of God's workmanship. All right? For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29. Please note, it has been granted to you Um, John 6, 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. What is granted? The faith is granted. All right. Acts uh, 18, 27. All right. Uh, uh, He wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Right? So it, it it is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift that is so very important that faith itself is a gift given to us by God. It does not originate from us, but at the same time, you cannot deny that faith is demanded. It, it It's just all over the place. It, you must believe, you must believe, you must believe. And if you don't believe, these are the consequences.
0: And how does that absolution begin? I always like saying that. It begins Hi, with upon.
2: Pardon? This your confession. Oh, I, I call and ordain so the word. No, this, no, no, And no, by no, no. the command. How does it be- I know.
0: How does it begin? Upon this, your confession. Yes. Now, that confession of repentance of sins is for you do. It is something that the Holy Spirit moves you to do, to as He helps you understand you're a sinner.
1: Okay, so now now you're kind of you see the the uh, Lutheranism is so uh, it's so confusing at times because certain parts of it sounds reformed and other parts of it sounds so not reformed. It's just this weird middle confused ground. Look, here's the thing. Faith is something that is demanded, but faith is something that is given. The reason that that people don't want to say that it's given is because then why doesn't God give it to everyone? Well, then they try to take a step back. Well, it's, give, it's offered to everyone, but you've got to accept it. Well, then that still that doesn't fix your problem because now I'm still doing something. So you still turn salvation into a work. The reason people want to make sure it's something we can do in some capacity is because if we don't do anything, well, then why do some people believe and some people don't believe? Because God grants faith only to those whom he has chosen to believe. And people will melt down over that. And I understand why they will melt down over that. But your only other solution is, well, you believe because you just believe. So you did something. And if you did something, then salvation is not by grace alone through faith alone. It is because you did something. You did something that your neighbor didn't do. You did something that your relatives didn't do. You believed. Why did you believe? Because you were smarter. You were more sensitive. You, now you can take credit for it.
0: In need of God's salvation. So repentance is not your work either. It's the work of God. Faith-
1: Amen. Repentance is not something I do. God grants repentance.
0: Faith is not your work. It's the work of God.
1: Amen. Faith is not something we do. It is something that God does.
0: And therefore, when you are saved, you are saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's faith.
2: And that says it all. You know, we are redeemed by Christ our Lord. And it, isn't that wonderful news that it's not up to anything that we did or didn't do, but it was it was Christ who, did, who hung on the cross in his crucifixion for us.
0: Yeah, a lot of people think if I'm saved by faith, they wonder if they're going to be saved because a lot of times they don't have sufficient faith.
1: That's because they're looking to their faith and the faith that saves. Comes from God, so very, very, very important. All right, what we just listened to is Law and Gospel with Pastor Tom Baker. It's available on all podcast apps. I would now, I, I think that they struggle trying to explain that thesis. But I will be look. I'm going to cut them all the slack in the world, and here's the reason why. That is a that thesis they're looking at is so convoluted. When we get there, it's going to be it's going to be a train wreck for a couple of weeks as we, because I'm going to be trying to explain this and people are going to be like, wait, what, what are you talking? About? You watch. It's going to be mass confusion for a couple of episodes. When we get there, This just gives you a preview to get you start thinking, but we've already talked about this. And so, in some ways we started talking about this in our study on Matthew 14. So many times our series, they connect. If you'll pay attention, they connect things. There's a, there's a reason. There's a method to my madness, I kept saying, Matthew 14, Matthew 14, Matthew 14, Matthew 14. And, and I even spent an extra hour talking about it. And I, th- I can't remember someone in my church. I don't remember who. Right when I got, right when I finished the sermon on Matthew 14, they said something like, wow, this connects perfectly with our study on law and gospel. And I was like, yes, someone got it right. That's, that, that, that's because th- 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 this is where we're headed to this weird understanding of law. And if you go back to the early episodes, the early, early episodes of our discussion um, on law and gospel, we spent a lot of time trying to, what is faith? How do we understand faith? Because, and we, I think we contrasted, say, a MacArthur's definition of faith versus other views of faith. And remember, it was really, you, you need to go back and find that because that was very, if someone, I don't remember which episode, if anyone finds the episode where we had that very significant discussion about the right definition of faith, that is going to come into play big time when we get here. So go ahead and find it. And if you do find it, tell me which episode it was so that we can have it ready. Um, Because we need to have that down because that's very important. But I would challenge you to listen to this podcast, Law and Gospel with Pastor Tom Baker, because, well, it gives you a, a it gives you extra material on this discussion, and it gives you clearly a more pure Lutheran one. And I think in this case, they struggle. They're trying to find a middle ground, and I don't think there's a middle ground. The Bible basically says, if you don't believe, here's what happens. You must believe. Okay, well, that sounds like a law, all right? So then how do I, can I believe and not be saved by obedience to the law? Because what the law demands, God provides. He provides the faith. He provides the repentance. He provides the obedience. He provides the forgiveness. He provides the righteousness. It's all a work of God. So you can't boast, and neither can I. All right. Thanks for listening. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Can you believe we spent an hour and 23 minutes on that? That went much longer than I thought. But Man, as soon as I realized which thesis they were on, I was like, oh, no, I picked the wrong episode of all the episodes to randomly choose. I picked the most convoluted one. And I and I don't I think they did the best they could. But that was woo. they were. I was having a hard time trying to follow what they were saying as well. But that just makes us better and our understanding of law and gospel. So there you go. All right. Email me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right. We'll probably do something else before the evening is up, but uh, there you go. That's an hour and 23 minutes. So I think we did pretty good. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.